This is One on One with Mark Monteith on 1070 The Fan. Brought to you by Georgetown Market, Indy's family-owned natural food store since 1973. Movie Time Video Productions, they make your memories last forever. He's blown the whistle on high school, college, and professional sports for four decades. And they're all better for it. A native of Lancaster, Ohio, his athletic career didn't get beyond high school. But he was nudged into officiating quickly and wasted no time earning his stripes. He worked football games in the Mid-American Conference and Big Ten. And then, in 1989, landed a job as a headlinesman in the NFL. And yet, despite all that success and the generous paychecks, he still works high school basketball games around Indiana on weekends, just for the love of the game. He's experienced the thrills of working a big game in the packed house, but also the harsh realities of taking a tongue lashing from Bo Schembechler and a beer can in the head from a fan in Iowa. It's all part of the job. I'm Mark Monteith, and I'm going one-on-one with Mark Baltz. Well, today on One on One, we're going to speak with Mark Baltz, NFL official and high school basketball official out of Zionsville, Indiana. We have talked so far on this show with athletes, with coaches, with former mayors, with team owners and general managers, but we have yet to talk with an official, so nobody better than Mark Baltz to kick that off. And Mark, you're a native of Lancaster, Ohio. I have to assume as a kid growing up, you uh, were an athlete yourself and participated in most of the sports. Yeah, growing up in Ohio, uh, Mark, I participated in, uh, of course, Little League Baseball, uh, grade school, junior high, high school sports, uh, and uh, up through my uh, high school uh, level. My sophomore year, uh, I played played a little football, uh, had a little injury, uh, ended up being uh, relegated to other detail, and then my junior year tried out again and was beat out by an eventual uh, college All-American in, in football. Uh, so my, my sports career kind of went to the side, but uh, I kind of took up sports officiating in my high school gym classes, my high school AD, and uh, one of my coaches uh, needed somebody to referee the intramurals, and he said, here's a whistle, have at it, kid, and uh, I gave it a try and kind of enjoyed it out there with the authority figure on the floor with my fellow classmates and teammates, and uh, my AD noticed that he thought I kind of had a knack for for doing that, so encouraged me to continue to pursue it, which I did, and uh, 44 years later, here I am. Now, who was that All-American quarterback that beat you out? A kid by the name of Rex Kern, who went on oh. to uh, great greatness at Ohio State and uh, then played in the pros for several years with then-Baltimore Colts uh, and was, I think, uh, second or third in the voting for the Heisman Trophy back in the, in the late 60s or 1970. Uh, played in two or three Rose Bowls with Ohio State and just had a tremendous career. So I, I didn't last too long at first-string quarterback, you know, in practice. Uh, he took over, and uh, he, he's better off for it, and I think I am too. So. <laughs> but you started out doing high school games, I assume? High school. high school. Basically, my AD got, got me right in at the JV and varsity level in high school, so I skipped uh, a few levels, which some of the new younger officials today have to go through, the junior high ball and the freshman ball and all that stuff. So uh, I was fortunate in that regard. I had a pretty good uh, JV and varsity high school schedule right after getting my license. So that helped a lot. Why do you think you were good at it? What qualities did you possess that made you good at it? 
Well, I think probably the big thing was having a lot of common sense. Uh, no, I knew the rules very well. I uh, had a lot of common sense, uh, was, uh, was quick to react. I, you know, I made the call, didn't worry about whether I was right or wrong. I think I had some good instincts for it just from, just from being around the games growing up and everything. I just, I just had a feel or a knack for it, and I think it's something that, that's hard to teach. It's hard to train, and it takes a certain breed of cat to, to be able to do what, what we do as sports officials. Yeah, it almost seems like you're, you're either a good one or not in that you can be trained to a certain point, but you can't make somebody a good official. It's almost like a, a psychological qualities that they have to have. Oh, I think that's true. I, I think a lot of guys that get in it, uh, some people get in it for all the wrong reasons, but a lot of guys that do get in it get discouraged very quickly. Uh, you know, they uh, they may have great mechanics, but, it, you know, you've got to have good judgment. Uh, you got to have a lot of common sense. you got to know the philosophies behind the rules. you got to be able to throw the rule book out the window once in a while and make the call that, uh, you know, that makes sense. It's tough. It's, it's just a tough thing to acquire. I think the biggest key in our avocation is, is experience. And we've got a lot of younger officials at all sports that we all see that maybe have progressed a little too quickly and consequently they they've risen a little fast they fall pretty fast too so I've been a firm believer in my entire career that there's really no substitute in this advocation for experience and and you build on your experience well you got your experience uh, officiating uh, football and basketball games in Ohio from uh, 1967 to 1970 and at that point I guess moved to Indiana what brought you to Indiana Uh, My job right out of college uh, sent me to uh, the Fort Wayne area uh, into a sales position. Uh, So I moved up there and uh, got my family started up there. And uh, we were in Fort Wayne for 10 years, moved to Noblesville in 1980. Both my boys went through school in uh, the Noblesville school system, graduated from high school there and went on to IU, uh, finished up down there and and then we moved over to the Zionsville area where we've been ever since. And you work your way up through the ranks. You do state championship games in football in 1999 and 2003. Um, That's basketball. Oh, basketball. basketball. Yeah, I did football way back when. Okay. I did the state championships in football in uh, 77 and 83. And then the basketball came along in uh, 99, 03, and 06. And then you joined the Mid-American Conference. 1984. Same year I got in the Big Ten, I got in the Mid-American, and I had a split schedule. Uh, then about three weeks into the season, uh, I was a referee and crew chief in the MAC and was working several different positions in the Big Ten. And the Big Ten got hit with the uh, with the injury bug in 1984, and two or three of their officials uh, suffered season-ending injuries, and they were short some personnel. And so I got uh, I got called out of the MAC, the ranks of the MAC, and uh, moved into the Big Ten, and been there, stayed there through '88. You became an NFL ref in 1989. What was that process? I mean, how do you how did you graduate from doing MAC and Big Ten games to get to the NFL? Okay, good question. Once I once I was working at a Big Ten for a couple of years, uh, I, I received a, a letter from the uh, the NFL who I communicated with many years earlier than that, and uh, of course they said I didn't qualify and all that other stuff, and I needed uh, ten years of high school experience and five years of major college experience before they would even consider uh, an application. And uh, I kind of let that go by the wayside. And uh, I think halfway through my Big Ten career, I did receive an application in the mail from the NFL in like 1985-86, filled it out. And then the process kind of began. They started an interview process with me. They uh, started background checks. 
they went through every neighborhood I ever lived in my entire life asking questions about uh, me, my family, uh, you know, where, where I work, where I hung out who my friends were, and, of course, a lot of people they're talking to didn't even know who I was. So <laughs> uh, that made that process kind of interesting. But then they uh, they narrowed it down to a list of finalists of, to about 20. Uh, I made that list in 1989, and uh, then the list uh, got narrowed down to five or six uh, who were selected that year to uh, to go into the NFL in 1989, and I was fortunate enough to be one of them. Mm. So there's not really specific auditioning process the your performance in your college games is your audition right basically. basically that's right once once you fill out an application you have to send them your schedule and they want to see the the caliber of games that you're working and uh, of course working in the big 10 you work a lot of high profile games i worked two or three ohio state michigan games in my career and michigan michigan state games uh michigan notre dame michigan state notre dame uh so so i got a lot of good exposure and uh you know, it's like anything else. You you got to go out there and work the game. Like you know, you never know who's watching, and you got to be on your toes. And like I've told many many young officials, we're in the only avocation in the world where we're told to start perfect and then try to improve. <laughs> and uh, sometimes that's pretty tough. But if you can stay focused and concentrate, uh, even in games when it's ten degrees or it's forty degrees and it's pouring down rain, you have to you have to take the same approach then as you do on a nice sunny Sunday afternoon in, or Saturday afternoon in Bloomington, Indiana, or wherever it may be. Why was it Baltz had to duck a shoe flying off the foot of Bob Lovell? We'll explain when One on One continues. Welcome back to One on One. I'm Mark Monteith. I'm here today with NFL and high school basketball referee Mark Baltz, who will explain just what a headlinesman does, why he had to duck a shoe flying off the foot of our own Bob Lovell, and why there's a shortage of referees for youth league and high school games. So you're a headlinesman. Obviously, you monitor the line. Can you summarize, though, what your responsibilities are as a linesman? Sure. We, uh, we're responsible for the line of scrimmage uh, prior to the snap, at the snap, after the snap, uh, so prior to the snap, we're looking down the line of scrimmage, and I've got the line judge across the field from me on the other side. We're on, we're on the line. The guys on the chain crew work for me. Uh, they're positioned behind me. Uh, I set them every first down and, uh, and then change the down box every down. But uh, as the players come out of the huddle, uh, the headlinesman, line judge, along with referee and umpire are responsible for uh, counting the offense. Uh, they come up and start their formation. Uh, where the two line of scrimmage officials are responsible for the legality of the formation and the num- make sure all the players meet the numbering requirements and uh, know who our eligibles and ineligibles are. Uh, we both have to take a quick peek at the center and make sure the center's not doing anything unusual with the, with the football and, and rolling it over or moving it or adjusting it or snapping it. Uh, so there's a lot of pre-snap responsibilities as they go down into their stance. Uh, those that are restricted, those that are unrestricted. Uh, and there's just really a lot of things to look at. And then we had to pick out our eligible receiver should the play develop into a pass play. Uh, then once uh, once the ball is ready to be snapped, we kind of officiate uh, that neutral zone there and have to sort out who did what to who with regards to a false start or was it a neutral zone infraction? Uh, did the defense cause the offense to lift? Was a player simulating the start of the play? Did the center shrug his shoulders? Did the quarterback flinch? 
you know, all these things that happen and uh, either cause the play to be killed or some of those penalties allow the ball to continue to be snapped. And then we still have, have a flag at the snap, like guys jumping in the neutral zone and things like that. But uh, then we have our whistle. We all get together and sort out who did what to who. And, uh, you know, if you've seen a million of them, it's easy to do. If you've seen 10 of them, it takes a little while to sort that stuff out. So People say that NFL refs could call holding on every play if they wanted to. Is that true? Uh, you didn't hear me say that. But it, <laughs> it probably is. Uh, you know, there, there's some technical, you know, if a grab, if you call a restriction, uh, a hold uh, by definition, Somewhere on that field, somebody has got a hold of somebody's jersey or slightly tugging it or doing something on every play. But uh, really the philosophy behind the rule is uh, did he gain an advantage? Was it at the point of attack? And all these other things come into the equation and and, uh, makes it a lot easier to call when the play is developing right in front of you. And, And back to your other question, after the snap, on the line of scrimmage, you know, we pretty much go into a zone coverage. So even the line of scrimmage officials, everybody gets involved in in any penalty that can be called. And holding then becomes probably the predominant thing that that most people are looking for as uh, as runners or receivers with possession of the ball, you know, get towards a point of attack is somebody grabbing somebody or tackling somebody or pulling somebody out of the way so that they can't make the tackle. So but yeah, there's there's some form of uh, you know a little snatch or tug or something that probably probably occurs on every play, but uh, a lot of it has absolutely no effect on the outcome of the play. So we pretty much ignore it. Yes, we let the players definitely know that we saw it. You know, you can't do that. Uh, you know, don't grab, don't pull, don't tug, uh, and they pretty much listen. They, I think as long as you show them that there's a there's a presence presence on the field there and someone. Someone sees what you're doing; uh, they tend to shy away from that stuff. What's the salary range for an NFL referee? Can you say? Yeah, I can say if I remember. Uh, I think our first year guys this year are going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, maybe twenty five hundred bucks a game, something like that. And our senior level guys are going to be in the eighty five to nine thousand dollar a game range, something like that. Uh, the playoffs pay five thousand dollars. The Super Bowl pays $12,000. We also are involved in a playoff pool uh, as an association where we share in uh, pool money at the end of the season as well. Since a lot of guys qualify to work the playoffs by their evaluation system, there's only so many slots to go around. So some guys uh, qualify to work, don't get to work, but still get get playoff money by contract. So that's a that's a good deal that our our association was able to work out with the, with the league several years ago. You still do high school basketball games? Yeah, um, I still do. I, Hoosier hysteria to me is just something that uh, has been mystifying over the years. I think it's it's a it's a great thing. I think they ruined it with uh, with class, but uh, I think uh, I think it's still one of the greatest greatest games going. Uh, I'm an associate member right now on the board of the Indiana Basketball Hall of Fame and enjoy working with those people. I just think they've got a tremendous tradition here in high school basketball in Indiana. And as I travel around the country and, you know, I'll, I'll go into a football game uh, in November, December after having worked a high school game on Friday night and 
fly out and meet my crew on Saturday, and I tell them, hey, I refereed a high school game last night in front of 8,000, 7,000 people. And, you know, they think, uh, no gym holds that many people. Say, <laughs> well, there's about 10 of them in Indiana that do. So yeah. uh, it's, it's really neat just to talk about the tradition, even though I think it's uh, – it's a little watered down. It's still it's still a great thing, and it's uh, it's great to be a part of it. But the big problem I'm having at uh, at my age, the kids you know the kids are still the same sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds, and you know after forty four seasons of it, uh, I keep getting a year older every year. So <laughs> it gets a little bit tougher to to keep up with them. But, How old are you now? I uh, just turned sixty two. Okay. How long do you think you want to do it? I'd love to do it another twenty years, but realistically. <laughs> uh, Probably just a couple more. I'll probably give the basketball up before the football because uh, the basketball is a little more demanding on the body, believe it or not. I'd like to go another year or two in basketball and then probably two or three in football. Have you ever done baseball or other sports? I did high school baseball. I, I, I did all three coming right out of uh, right out of high school. was an umpire in Ohio. Uh, that career was short-lived. Couldn't stand the parents. Uh, couldn't stand the, the drag and the delay and – I was just relating that story the other day to to our friend Bill Bell that we were talking about that uh, uh, you know you had so much delay back then the economics were so bad you started the game with two balls and if they both got fouled off into the parking lot you had to wait around for ten minutes for somebody could get another baseball for you to play with and those little five or seven inning high school games sometimes would take two or three hours and it just kind of lost its luster for me even though I did play, you know, Little League ball and really enjoyed baseball, uh, umpiring just uh, just didn't cut it for me. We were joking with Bob Lovell before we got started here. Bob's in, and of course he has a show here, and, and he is a former high school and college coach, and you've officiated his game. And he told the story that one time he kicked his foot or whatever in protest and the shoe came flying off. Yeah, it's, it's surprising. I still remember that game. I think uh, Bobby was coaching at Franklin, and they were playing DePaul over in Greencastle, and uh, – uh, if I recall correctly, I was on the game with John Adams, who's now the uh, director of basketball officiating for the NCAA, and uh, we were working this game over at DePaul, and uh, Coach Lovell, in his animated way, jumped up off the bench at, at a call that uh, I'm not even sure I made it or John made it, but he was disgusted with the call and, and went to kick his foot on the floor real hard, and his foot came up, and the loafer flew off his foot and went flying by my by my head, clear out on the floor. And you know, as much as I hated to, uh, you know, you you got to tech the coach on that situation, uh, which just added fuel to the fire. But uh, you know, that that's all part of the game. And uh, Bob was a great coach, and everybody loved him. And you know, he had a lot of annex, and uh, we we learned as officials to to deal with it. And uh, he he made a lot of great players out of a lot of good kids. So. That's all part of the legend of Indiana high school and small college basketball. <laughs> what do high school officials get paid now? What's the range there? Oh, I basketball? think the range for high school varsity basketball is probably fifty to seventy-five dollars a game, depending mm-hmm. upon you know where you go, the smaller communities with the economic problems and everything. And it, it's uh, it's one of the areas that uh, you know that they, they really haven't increased drastically over the years. But uh, I think my first my first year in officiating, I think it was like fifteen or twenty bucks a game. So 44 years later, it's you know 75 bucks a game. It really hasn't come a long way in, in 44 years, but uh, it is what it is, and it's uh, you know you have to respect that too. And uh, you know the schools do the best they can, and the crowds are diminishing. And you used to officiate in front of a lot of gyms there in the state, as you know, covering high school basketball. The, a lot of them used to be standing room only and filled to the rafters, and 
those same storied places uh, aren't even half full, yeah. and it's uh, it's really disheartening to see that. But uh, you know, that's the nature of the beast. That's society. That's the times we're in. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's it's part of the struggle. Well, so you get thousands to do an NFL game, and you'll still do a high school game for $75. That's a credit to you, I think, that you obviously love the profession. Well, I've never been in it for the money. I mean, the money as a result in the NFL has come my way, but uh, I never did start officiating for the money. There's, And I think there's that's part of the other fallacy that we face today in, in sports officiating is the fact that uh, I think a lot of younger officials uh, were having some problems around the country with, with soccer and little league officials uh, – at all, all different levels of all sports, uh, they're getting in it all for the wrong reasons uh, and see it as, a, you know, hey, I can get a quick 50 bucks. And, and some of these places are paying some outlandish prices uh, just to have officials uh, for four, you know, peewee games on a, on a Saturday morning. Uh, you know, some places are paying more than, you know, guys are getting for working Friday night just so they can have somebody out there. And they a lot of them aren't qualified. A lot of them aren't trained properly. And uh, it, it's it's really made a bad name for officiating. Uh, you know, like I said, they've gotten into it for the wrong reason. And they probably won't be around long or they won't go much beyond that level of ball either. But uh, they're starting to filter in here and there. But we've got some pretty good programs and some pretty good systems around the state and, and other states around the country to – to continue to train officials, there's still going to be a tremendous shortage down the road here. I know I was in Florida a couple months ago, and you know they have to play high school football on four different nights in the state of Florida uh, just because they don't have enough qualified uh, high school football officials to cover all their games. They're playing mm-hmm. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Monday, uh, high school varsity football, just so they have enough officials to go around. Wow. So, Young people just don't want to do it as badly as your generation. No, I think there's a lot of other things they can do for, you know, with take a heck of a lot less grief. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot more things for people to do. And really getting interested in at one time was a tremendous avocation and still is for, for some people. Uh, there's, there's a lot of other things for people to do these days. Vaults on the violence of the NFL game when one-on-one continues. We're back on one-on-one. I'm Mark Monteith. You know, Mark Baltz has seen a lot of things in his officiating career, from triumph to tragedy. Let's hear some more stories. We told the story about Bob Lovell. What other stories stand out in your memory, funny things that happened from your high school basketball career? Anything? Yeah, I think some, and I I tell this story a lot, and I relived it again this year. Uh, my wife and I uh, flew out to uh, New Mexico over the Christmas holidays between the 16th and 17th week of the season. I asked my wife what she wanted to do for Christmas. She said she'd like to see her sister, and her sister happens to live in Farmington, New Mexico. So that was kind of tough to pull off, but uh, I uh, we called them and made sure it was okay. We made a quick trip out there, and we uh, went to uh, the University of New Mexico and watched uh, Texas Tech play uh, – the University of New Mexico. So I got to see uh, Pat Knight and Steve Alford. And Steve's always been a friend of mine uh, over the years and uh, has had a good career, as we all know, coming from Indiana. And uh, But I refereed his high school basketball games. And one of the more memorable games involved Steve uh, playing in a game at uh, in high school. Of course, his dad, Sam, was a coach. 
and uh, they're playing in the wigwam in Anderson, and Anderson had a young kid by the name of Troy Lewis, and uh, it's offered senior year. It's it's uh, Troy's junior year, and just we just had a tremendous game at the wigwam, and uh, uh, there's like five seconds to go in the in the game, and uh, Anderson is ahead by one. And uh, Steve Alford uh, decides to drive the lane, which is unusual for a guard. But uh, he put the whole team on his shoulder, drove the lane for a layup, got fouled, missed the layup. But uh, I put him on the line with five seconds to go in the game uh, to shoot two free throws uh, down by one. Uh, Half the people in the wigwam were from Newcastle. They all got up and left, went home, knowing that Steve Alford never misses free throws. And uh, so they had this game in the bag. And... Norm Held continued to ice Steve with taking all three of his timeouts. And uh, 10 minutes later, uh, Steve had missed both free throws and Anderson won by one. And uh, Sam to this day sa- still says that that's, uh, that's the only time in Steve's, uh, Steve's career that uh, he ever missed two free throws in a row. Yeah, I believe uh, that. And uh, so that always, that always sticks in my mind. Of course, every time I see Steve, it always reminds him of it, too. So <laughs> we kind of have a, a little laugh about it. Another game that, that stands in my mind, which I'll always remember, I sometimes like to forget, but I was one of the two officials uh, officiating the game when, when John Stewart dropped dead mm. uh, down in Columbus, Indiana, when Lawrence North was playing Bloomington South uh, for the regional championship. I don't think I ever want to go through that experience again, but... Uh, you know, you think of all the rewarding things and players that you've met and uh, seen along the line here in Hoosier basketball with, uh, you know, with the Damon Baileys and the Troy Lewises. And uh, I go clear back to, you know, I, I officiated for Kyle Macy and Jim Masters. And, you know, I've just, just been able to see a lot of great coaches, a lot of the great teams that Bill Green had at Marion. And Basil Mobby followed his career all over the place. It's just just a great honor just to be part of the high school basketball scene here in Indiana. I I can't speak enough about it. Are there still calls to this day that kind of bug you that you knew you blew? You know, you try to forget about the calls you blow. I think, you know, you're only as good as your next call. You try to forget about the ones that uh, – I don't think I ever made any calls that uh, were really game-deciding calls. I had a couple tough calls at the ends of ball games. Uh, I was epitomized in, in the state of Iowa in my first year in the Big Ten. Uh, I made a call on an extra point conversion that cost Iowa a trip to the Rose Bowl, and I was kind of the Jim Bain of uh, <laughs> of football officials uh, in the Big Ten for a little while until they finally found a piece of celluloid way back then that, that proved that the, the call was right. But Hayden Fry finally, after chastising me for a couple of weeks on Iowa radio, came back and I think uh, said that the official – well, he finally had visual evidence. I mean, two weeks later, finally had visual evidence <laughs> that the official made the right call. Like that was going to make any difference. Yeah. But, uh, no, I think the Iowa – of course, that same day I got, you know, running off the field. It was the first day of hunting season in Iowa City, and I was running off the field right after that call. And I get hit in the face with a with a full can of beer mm. uh, running off the field. And, it, I mean, it just splattered. It opened as it hit me. And I kind of forgot whether that call was right or wrong anyhow. But uh, – <laughs> Yeah, I was legendary for a little while in the state of Iowa for that one. <laughs> you mentioned Jim Bain, just for background. He's the basketball referee who sometime early in the 1980s in an Iowa-Purdue game at Mackey Arena made a call that Iowa fans thought cost them the game. And, in fact, uh, two Iowa fans, a couple who owned a souvenir shop or something, sued him claiming damages, and he filed a countersuit, and he wound up coming on top of all that. But that made him infamous in refereeing circles as well. I've always thought that 
people probably don't really understand or appreciate the violence of an NFL game unless you're right down on the field or maybe in the front row and can really see it and hear it. I mean, is it amazing to you just the amount of contact and the violence of the game? And it's it's gotten it's gotten worse every year. I, I think, like I said earlier, the players get bigger, quicker, faster, stronger, and their agility, uh, their ability to do what they do. And it, you know, going into training camps every year now, like we do for three or four days prior to the season, you get to see some of this, you know, one on one. But then, like you said, on the field during the game, I've seen players have their legs snapped right in front of me and. And things like that, and uh, getting concussions, and having the helmet to helmet, and getting knocked out cold. And but I've seen perfectly legal hits do the same thing to players. And it's the the physicality of the game of football uh, is has become unbelievable. And as a result, you know, look at the rules changes that we've got with regards to you know the helmet and the concussions, and uh, even our own position this year for the first time, the umpire for the entire season will be in the offensive backfield. Uh, it's no longer an experiment. Our umpires last year were, uh, I think, knocked down over 100 times last year in the NFL season. And they refused to wear equipment uh, or put on a helmet or put on a flak jacket or anything like that. And the competition committee is, is really, really interested in uh not only player safety, but at the safety of the officials and concerned about the concussion aspect of the game with the strength and speed that these guys have. There's probably not a quality helmet made today, and believe me, they are super quality, but there's probably not one that's going to guarantee that somebody doesn't get a concussion. And and our umpires aren't wearing that. Yeah. And they're going, to be, they're going to be relegated this year to the offensive backfield with the referee. Uh, which is going to get him out of that middle, which is going to create some minor officiating uh, deficiencies, but uh, it's going to also help in the area, I think, that you talked about earlier of the holding and things like that that need to be called, a few that were missed. Uh, We're also going to experiment this year with, in the preseason in a couple games with with an eighth official on the field. Uh, I always go back to the old days, my first couple years in the league with Jim Tunney, uh, who said, you know, one of these days there's going to be 22, and he wants the re- or he wants the quarterback because he's the most important guy on the field. <laughs> and uh, I don't think it'll get there in my lifetime, but uh, the game has really become so specialized that you know it is tough for seven guys to keep track of 22. And uh, what will the eighth official do? What will his the eighth official be? this year with the umpire going into the offensive backfield? Uh, the, the eighth guy will be the second back judge. So he will be deep downfield and split those responsibilities downfield 25 or 30 yards downfield with the other former one back judge. They'll probably, instead of the one back judge being in the middle of the field, they'll probably spread out a little bit so that they're both just outside the hash marks on each side of the field. And, and then if you draw a schematic of that, you'll have, you'll have a referee and umpire in the offensive backfield. You'll have two deep back judges in the middle of the field at the other end of the field and then you'll have the headlinesman line judge on the line of scrimmage and then uh, 15 yards down from them you'll have the the side judge and the field judge so there'll be eight officials that pretty much have that whole playing field encircled and all 22 players in front of them with everybody having certain responsibilities again prior to the snap at the snap and after the snap as the play develops so 
Uh, it'll be a work in progress. Uh, they're just looking at it just like they looked at the umpire in the offensive backfield several years ago. Now it's become a reality. Uh, who's to say that next year, two years from now, three years from now, uh, the eighth official on the field will become a reality. Uh, when I got in the NFL in 89, the, the, seventh, of, the seventh official uh, had just become a reality in the NFL. So uh, here we are, you know, 20-some years later, they're looking to add an eighth. So mm. whether it happens this year or next year, it won't happen this year, but whether it happens next year or two years from now or five years from now, I don't know. They're, they're, always, they're always tweaking to try to make the game a little better. Balch shuts up Bo Schembechler when one-on-one continues. Mark Monteith with you here on one-on-one. I'm talking today with NFL referee and Indiana High School basketball official Mark Baltz. You know, NFL refing is no joke. Let's let Baltz explain the process of critiquing their efforts, as well as dealing with gambling influences, and the quiet verbal jab that shut up Bo Beckler. What's the critiquing process for each game for the officials? Our games are thoroughly reviewed every, every week by a, a panel of uh, supervisors in the league office in New York City, all former officials that work under our vice president of officiating, which we have a new one this year. Carl Johnson replaced Mike Pereira, who retired after 10 years. But Carl has a staff of, uh, of retired officials who are uh, regional supervisors and uh, has two or three other associate supervisors. And those seven or eight people grade the games each week, all the plays of all the games. Uh, each one is assigned one or two games to grade, and uh, they grade the calls, the no calls, uh, the calls that you make that uh, you shouldn't have made, the calls that you didn't make that they don't think you should have made, which they go as, uh, you know, good uh, good no calls. Uh, pretty much evaluate every play of every game and uh, throw all the grades in a computer at the end of the year and shake them up, and they really come out, believe it or not, pretty close at the end of the year at each position. And they, they grade us and rank us by position. The highest-rated officials then uh, go on to work the playoffs, and there's other ones that are also – meet the qualifications to work but uh, don't get a work so but they because of this revenue pool that we have now that they they share in that and uh, so there's kind of a rotation system in place too once you've worked three or four years unless you're rated one two or three if you qualify again you may sit out a year and let someone else rotate in so how many playoff games have you worked uh in 22 years I've worked 19 when you get home after a game do you watch it on DVD I mean just personally just to Actually, before we leave the locker room on Sunday, we're handed a t- the TV feed of the game. Oh, okay. And we're required to watch it on our laptops on the way home. Uh, <laughs> you so can't the, even wait till you get home. No, huh? no. We gotta, <laughs> they got to keep us working, you know. Uh, Sunday's a day of work. Uh, yeah. We get on the plane and relax and throw that DVD in and, and get to watch it because on Monday morning we have to preliminarily answer some questions back to the league office and back to our referee uh, who's going to be on the phone to the league a little bit more than, than the rest of us, uh, uh, preliminarily reviewing the game. And then once the game's finally been evaluated on Wednesday, but Tuesday night we'll have a conference call as a crew discussing the unusual plays, good, bad, or indifferent. And so our referee has a little more feedback to, to give back to the league to either justify why we called the called the foul, why we didn't call it, and, and give them a little more, you know, ammunition to look at a play in our way as opposed to you know they didn't see the game personally they just 
saw this play and uh, you know they get a little better explanation on it. So over the course of a season, how many mistakes will you make typically? Well, let's see. Last year, to be quite honest with you, I had a pretty good year. I had, uh, I think, I had four or five mistakes last year in uh, sixteen games, twenty. I think the number was twenty eight hundred and fifty plays. At least I had five mistakes that they caught. Uh, <laughs> I might have had a few more, but uh, I didn't agree with a couple that they called mistakes too. But yeah. uh, it all evens out. Yeah. Uh, and we don't officiate for grades. And yeah. it's, it's uh, sometimes sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not. You can you could be in a game where uh, you know where you could throw your flag twenty five times, and if you do, you hope you're right twenty five times. But uh, I kind of tend to officiate the other way a little bit. Uh, and uh, our crew, I think, threw the least number of flags in the league last year, but we were also one of the highest-rated crews. So uh, I guess there's something to be said for that, too. Mm-hmm. So. Have you or any other NFL official that you know ever been approached by a gambling interest? You know, in the 22 years, we get talked to about that every year, and we have local uh, security reps in all all the league cities, as you know, the not only be involved with the players, but – uh, also, you know, they keep tabs on us too. And, uh, they talk about gambling all the time with regards to, uh, to our NFL guys. And, uh, uh, I have yet to even, even be close to have been approached by, uh, by anything like that. I don't gamble myself. Uh, I don't go into, uh, into gambling establishments. Uh, I've only been to Las Vegas twice in my life. And once was through the airport, and the other was just this past spring when our association had our annual meeting out there. But uh, we were out in the sticks somewhere, and uh, you know we we just we just stay away from that yeah. style of life. And uh, I, I think you have to. Is that a rule that you can't go to a casino, or just their preference? No, it's a rule. It's part yeah, of our contract. You cannot go uh, into yeah, a casino. It's part of our. We can go into a casino. Oh. We just can't go into a place where there's where there's sports sports book, book. right. That makes uh, sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> I, I don't know why anybody in their right mind would even think about it. So, but if we do go, we have to let the league know that uh, we're going to be there too. Be just because of the the amount of money that's involved in in NFL football. And let's say I had to go to Las Vegas to a sales convention or something, uh, I would have to let the league know when I would be there because someone. Probably, I mean, I'm pretty obscure as an official, but someone would possibly recognize me, and uh, maybe you were out there on vacation, you know, and say, oh, I saw Mark Baltz running around in Las Vegas. (laughs) Well, what connotations does that send, even if it's an innocent statement? uh, It's it's just amazing what, what would come out of that, so... Is it difficult, especially for a young official, to keep your emotions out of it? And when a coach is really riding you hard, and you know you were right, is it difficult not to lose your cool a little bit, or you know, keep your emotions in check? No, I think when you, when you, especially when you know you've got it right. Uh, I mean, you know, you just, you just feel all, all the, that much better because you just swell up inside with the pride that, uh, the pride that you brought to that play. You know, hey, I gave it my best and I got it right. I don't care what he says. And <laughs> when he looks at the film on Monday morning, he'll find that out. And I think that's kind of the nature of the beast. And, and again, it goes, it goes with experience, Mark. And the guys that have been there, the guys that are even stepping on, and we'll have a rookie on our crew this year in the NFL, but uh, he's had a ton of experience uh, in, his, uh, in his career. Plus, he's, uh, he's the son of uh, one of our famous officials. Uh, so he's going uh, to step in. I'm sure he's probably going to be looked at. Oh, you're not like your dad or whatever. But <laughs> he's working a different position from his dad. So... Uh, it'll be totally out of out of 
respect, I think. The, he'll get a few jabs, and we put we put the coaches up to it sometimes too, you know. Uh, you know, they'll start in on me. I say, hey, don't bother me. Go get on him. He's the rookie, you know. And uh, so we set him up once in a while. Too, <laughs> but uh, it's, again, it, it's all part of it. But I'll tell you, like I said earlier, this game has become so specialized and there's so much that goes into every play of every game. Uh, those coaches don't have don't have enough time, much time anymore to, to even worry about us. Yeah. So they've got to they've got to move on to the next play, or they're going to find themselves two or three plays behind and wondering why they're punting the balls. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, they better stick to their job, and I'll stick to mine. And we've all come up with some good one-liners over the years to to kind of diffuse that situation. And uh, they know after 21 years, I think. I think when they see me come out on the field and some of the other veterans, they have a little bit better feeling as opposed to maybe seeing four or five, six faces they've never seen before. I, th- I think the experience factor comes into play there. Uh, you know, they do their homework. Uh, they know how many years we've been there. They know how many playoff games we've worked. Uh, they've seen us work in playoff games when they're sitting at home because their team didn't make it. Uh, and they really, a lot of the teams anymore, you know, do their homework on the officials. They have catalogs on all of our calls. And, and we even notice that from time to time. You know, a coach will come up to us prior to the game the following week and say, hey, your crew, uh, your crew called three holdings last week. <laughs> so? I mean, <laughs> what are you trying to get at, Coach? Is that were, were too they many all or there? not enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, well, you just make sure you still watch for it again this week. Okay, <laughs> okay. Coach. Anything you say, Coach. Yeah. We're going to treat you the same way we treated them. So Yeah. What's a good retort to a coach during a game? What You talk about some good one-liners with the – well, I think my best one-liner goes back to my college days, and I'm not sure I can say it on the air, but I was I was working on Ohio State-Michigan game, and uh, Michigan was ahead by two points, and uh, they're trying to run out the clock, and they run a sweet play to my side of the field uh, right at the 50-yard line, and Jamie Morris fumbles the ball, and the ball comes out, and Ohio State falls on it, and uh, Bo Schembechler is livid. He He thinks the guy was down. He didn't fumble the ball. Uh, we didn't have replay then, so nothing he could do about it. I killed the clock and pointed the other way. First and 10, Ohio State with 40-some seconds to go in the game. And now, of all things, you know, we go into the, one of these TV timeouts, which at the end of the game, you know, lasts for like three minutes because mm-hmm. uh, they're trying to catch up on all the commercials they missed because it had been a great game and they hadn't had too many stoppages. Well, they forget about poor old me standing at the 50-yard line with Bo Schembechler behind me in both ears and <laughs> trying to set up my chains and everything else. And he's turning as blue as his blue coat with the gold on it is, and uh, he just can't breathe, and he's huffing and he's puffing. And he's telling me I'm the worst official he's ever seen, and I'd screw up a good CYO game. And if Michigan loses this game, I'll never work in this league again. And kiss your career goodbye and blah, 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 all this other stuff. And uh, finally, he's he's huffing, he's puffing, and uh, Tom Quinn, the referee, gets ready to blow the ball ready for play and put the ball back in play. All Ohio State's got to do is run three plays, get in field goal range, and kick a field goal, and they win. But they weren't up to the task that day, so Michigan went on to win. But anyhow, just as we start play back up again, uh, Bo's out of gas. I haven't said a word. I've stood there like a statue for three minutes, and Finally, he says to me, well, he says, don't you have anything to say for yourself? And I says, yeah, coach, you obviously mistake me for someone who gives a way. <laughs> he disappeared. He called the commissioner the next day and told Wayne Duke that I'd mouthed off to him. And huh. 
Wayne Duke called me and said, did you mouth off the bow? And I said, yes, sir, I did. And he said, good for you. And uh, <laughs> life goes on. And uh, I probably worked a dozen more Michigan games in my career. And and uh, Bo was just as nice as nice could be. He probably, so, when he yeah. went back and watched the film, saw you were right. Well, and they, I hope, he got I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny because they could get on you endlessly and you you say one sentence and you get a phone call oh, about yeah, it. Oh, yeah, right. And right. that's the life of the official, I guess. One-on-one -on -one with Mark Boltz continues in a moment. Welcome back to One-on-One. -on -One. I'm Mark Monteith. Thanks to Mark Baltz for lending an hour of his time to educate us on the world of officiating. Surely you'll agree it's a thankless job and one that the majority of referees do well. Hey, I've always thought it's amazing that anyone is even willing to take on the task of officiating youth league and high school games where the pay is small and the abuse can be mighty. So let's give credit to the men and women who are willing to deal with all that. Now, don't forget, you can hear this and all other episodes of One-on-One -on, -one on our website at 1070thefan.com. Go to the bottom of the homepage, click on the One-on-One -on -one window, and you'll have access to all the podcasts of this series. And I'll be back next week with yet another one right here on 1070 The Fan.